You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Turn your scriptures, find a Bible in front of you or your own, and find Mark 11 again. We have reached the end of the chapter, chapter 11, so we'll mark these these times of accomplishment that we, we get this far. Um, right now, probably getting towards the end uh, and the resurrection in, in October sometime, kind of looks to where, where we'll end, uh, end up in Mark here. But as you turn to Mark 11, chap, uh, verse 27, let's just show you our picture from last week was from Micah. Scavell drew this and turned it in. And again, there's a bunch of others. They're on the backboard. Just take a look at that. That's weekly what our kids are learning and what they're picking up on. Micah drew me a picture. Uh, is that a shark down there? Micah? No. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's, the, that's crossing over. You've got earth and heaven and eternal life. And there's Malachi and Micah and Molly and the family. And they're going across on the cross. Right? We talked about that. Because of Jesus... They're able to cross from death to life. I hope you've crossed in Christ to eternal life like Mike has drawn here. So thanks for doing that. Let's look into our text. In verse 27, a shorter text this week through verse 33. Let's read God's word. Hear from him first. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple... The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Well, they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray again. Father, a shorter section, but nonetheless crucial because it's your word. It's important because you've written it down and you have seen fit to preserve it through the ages that we might read today. We hold in our hands a gift from you of your grace. Lord, I pray we not take that gift lightly, a gift that ultimately leads us to you and your reign that we just sang about. So, Lord, reign in us, reign in this hour, reign in the time we have as we read. Again, we pray your spirit to illuminate your very words on this page, to understand your scripture before us and that you would be magnified and glorified. and We would come again and with bended knee worship you here on earth in anticipation of worshiping you for eternity. So guide our time, Lord. We're asking by your spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus, his authority in our lives is a reflection of our faith 
in him. In, er, in other words, what we believe is going to show up in how we act. That shouldn't be an unfamiliar statement. We've made that before. We've seen that before, especially in the book of Titus, other places. What we believe shows up in how we act. So that what we truly believe is going to be evidenced. It's going to show forth in our lives. And our question for today, as we look into this passage, is do you, you, not the person beside you, you, do you believe in the authority of Jesus? And by implication, what he has said in his word, the scripture, you believe in him. And maybe in a more probing way, digging down deeper, we might answer, sure, yes. Let me ask, does your does your life again reflect this belief in his authority? Does your life Look like it. These verses, 27 through 33, they both conclude chapter 11, like I said, but they also tie us into further events of chapter 12 and just begins this repeated questioning through here. If you were to read into chapter 12, questions are going to come up um, talking about wife, whose wife in the resurrection is going to come up. Um, do we pay taxes to Caesar? What are, all these questions from these different leaders are coming up. And so, so our section here kind of closes out this, um, this triumphal entry and that chapter in the fig tree. And we're going to talk a little bit more about, we can't, just can't get away from the fig tree very long. Uh, talk about that. And then we'll be getting into 12. And again, these continued questioning here in this temple. And that is where we are. We're back today here in this passage on a on a Tuesday back in Jerusalem and uh, there is some debate Tuesday maybe it's Wednesday I'll let those that are really interested and in figure out those dates you sort that out figure that out I believe it to be Tuesday um, remember Jesus we celebrated Palm Sunday coming into Jerusalem on that donkey he looked at the temple and then went back to Bethany on on Sunday then he had Monday Monday morning, he went to that fig tree looking for fruit, didn't find it, cursed the fig tree, and then went subsequently back into the temple again. Again, kind of, is there fruit here? Looking for the same, finding no fruit. He upsets the tables, the money changers, and he really gives a warning that this temple was a den of robbers. And as the book of Jeremiah puts it, God is going to bring judgment against an adulterous people who don't walk in his ways. There's... There's some warning. There's some judgment here because of how they've treated this this place of God, really. And then on that day, that Monday, they head back out of the city. And then we come to our day that we're in this Tuesday. We were there last week, this Tuesday, this morning. They passed by this cursed fig tree, and we talked about prayer and faith and who our faith is to be in. God is the object of our faith. And, And now Mark tells us in verse 27, Jesus was walking In the temple. One commentator, I've used him multiple times, R.T. France, helps us envision the setting as we think about Jesus walking in the temple. Here's what he says. The colonnades, those big pillars, those colonnades of the court of the Gentiles offered ample shaded space for groups to gather around a teacher. And with the festival crowds now gathering, it would be surprising if the Galilean preacher did not have a regular audience. So when Mark's, and I'm still quoting, when Mark speaks of Jesus 
Uh, he gives some Greek here, but he, what he, walking in the temple, when we read that phrase that he was walking in the temple, he's not referring, uh, he is referring not to a passing touristic visit, but to Jesus' regular place of activity now that he has reached Jerusalem. End quote. So Jesus is walking, you might say, and he's teaching. And we're going to see that in the subsequent sections here as we go, teaching in this temple. And now our three groups of Jewish leadership approach Jesus with a question. And they come up to him uh, at the end of verse 27. You've got three groups listed here. And it's hard to keep all the groups of the Jewish people straight. I mean, you've got chief priests here, scribes, elders. We'll talk about Sadducees, Pharisees. Uh, there's Herodians. How do we sort all this out? Let me just give a couple descriptions of at least what's listed here and try to help us as, as I try to understand and piece them together. There's not just maybe one source that says it was just this. Just You've got to kind of piece some of the exterior history or even what we learned from Scripture together to really understand what's going on here. We're familiar. I think these, this list has come up before as we've read through Mark. But in regards to the chief priests... Uh, one writer describes them this way. These were probably the former high priests and members of the priestly aristocracy from which the high priests were chosen and belonged to the party of the Sadducees. So if you put chief priests, probably party of Sadducees. Of these groups, these chief priests, um, scribes, elders, there's really, there's really two overarching uh, people, sects, I think is what they're called, really. Of the, you've got the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees, right, they're sad, you see. Maybe remember they're sad because there's no resurrection. They're very sad about that. So uh, if that helps you, they don't believe in the resurrection. They're kind, I, as what I get, they're more the temple people. They're kind of the ones in charge of this temple area. So you think of Sadducee, temple, no resurrection, that sort of thing. Okay, that's who we're saying the chief priest here is under. Then you've got Pharisees. If I think of them as a group, the Pharisees. You think of fairness. Maybe you think of judging or law. That's what they were about, the oral law, the traditions, those sorts of things. And with the Pharisees, the scribes, and that's the second group listed here, these scribes, these uh, grammatarians, you know, that, that, that study what does the law say and how do we interpret it? And they were kind of the authority and interpretation of the day, which here's Jesus coming along, teaching as one who had authority. And so that's the scribes having this position of authority, I think mostly connected with the Pharisees. And then our third group here, the elders, uh, that's harder for me to pin down. Were they just of the Sadducees? Were they just of the Pharisees? Um, perhaps even just a group of themselves. Here's what uh, one writer says there uh, in Jerusalem. And I'm going to explain this, this council, this Sanhedrin. I'm giving you a lot of different words. The term elder has, has two uses. The term elder was used generally to describe all the members or specifically to refer to the lay leaders that constituted the third and least influential group with the Sadducees and the Pharisees in the Sanhedrin. He talks about the lay nobility here. Okay, what does all that mean? They're, the elders, maybe they were a group unto themselves or maybe a mixture, some of priestly, 
or from some of the leading families of Israel. So perhaps it's Sadducee, Pharisee, uh, elder, or elder just refers to the whole gathering called the Sanhedrin. That's a group of 71, really the leaders, really they're the the go-between, they kind of between the Roman government who is ruling at this time and between the um, between the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin, this 70 group of 71, perhaps even going back to Moses, who uh, I believe it was the 70 elders that, that helped judge the people going back that far. These people were part of that group, but really the chief priests, scribes and elders made up that Sanhedrin. So you've got Sadducees, Pharisees, and they're parts here, chief priests, scribes, elders in this group, this this conglomeration, really, of leadership of the Jewish people. And so I believe some of them, not the whole group, but some have come to Jesus. And that's the group that's asking him. So here's here's the leading authorities. Here's what's supposed to be the teachers, the, the guardians of the temple. And here's Jesus moving tables and doing all these things. And they're coming to question him. And so they ask him a question in verse 28. They said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? In other words, right, the, the ones in authority want to know what kind of authority do you have to be here? We want to know the source. What's the foundation? What, what gives you any really right to come and ransack this house and, and turn over tables and, and teach here? I mean, we haven't given you that authority. I think the real the real rub here is the assumed authority of this this chief priest, scribes, elders. They've got the authority. What's this guy coming to do? This is their place. Well, what did they not perceive? They didn't realize the owner of the house was home. He came. He was there. He had the authority. They, this group, they were his guests. He was the rightful owner. But instead of recognizing this and seeing it by faith, They despise his authority, his authority to come to his house. Remember, he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Verse 17. And so they're questioning. And it's it's really not a questioning out of we want. I mean, I think there's some assumptions here. You're not an authority. But here, verse 29, Jesus replies and he says to their question. He comes with another question. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, the way Jesus answers by asking another question, it was a common practice of the rabbis or the teachers of that day. So Jesus is not, a, he's not evading or he doesn't know. I mean, if we would think that, that's not, it's, a, um, it's just a common way of answering. So they ask a question, and he answers by asking another question back to them. And so I don't think his question would have surprised them, but he asked this question in verse 30. Here's what he asked them, and we're going to try to dig into this, understand it. Verse 30, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. That's his question. The baptism of John, was this from heaven or from man? I want you to think for a moment, if you're these scribes, these elders, and he asks you this question, was it from heaven or from man? How would you answer? Was it an act uh, 
from heaven, or in other words, you might say instead of heaven, the word God. I saw somewhere, sometimes to avoid speaking the divine name, the Jewish people would use the word heaven. So instead of saying, was John's baptism from God? I mean, you could, you know, intermingle those two words from God. He would say, is it from heaven? Was it an act of God or was this act of John? Was it just an act of of a man? We're going to look at two places. Uh, I believe even in the same chapter, two aspects of what Jesus seems to be getting at, because at first blush, and that's why I just enjoy going through the book slowly to take time to say, what? what? I don't understand. John's baptism, where does, you know, and I think maybe some of us, we struggle to understand the baptism of John, all these different things. Uh, head back, if you will, to one aspect, to the beginning of Mark. Stay in the same book of Mark. We'll try to answer this um, a bit from Mark if we don't go. Uh, we'll go a few other, well, we won't go, but we'll think of other places. But back to the beginning chapter of Mark, chapter 1. And I'm going to read one through three here. And we're going to see John the Baptist. He's really fulfilling the scripture. He's fulfilling God's word, which is going to help us answer that and would presumably help them answer. But it won't help the scribes and such. Look at Mark. I'll read one through four here. Mark one, one through four, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John is fulfilling both a prophecy from Malachi 3 here in this short little bit that we read. If your Bible has it kind of parsed out as, as some maybe it looks more poetry there. Part of this is from Malachi uh, about a messenger being sent. And then part of this is from Isaiah 40 about the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. In the Gospel of John, so we're in the Gospel of Mark, in the Gospel of John, the priests and Levites from Jerusalem, come to ask John the Baptist. They say, who are you? And he replies, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. So how can we answer that question for us? Was John out baptizing? Was this his own or was this the plan of God? We say, this is of God. So right now we know the answer. It's of God. That's what scriptures saying. Now, there's a second aspect that another writer brought out, and I'll just bring it because I, I think it's also helpful in thinking of John's baptism. And it's the actual baptism of Jesus by John. Um, if you're in Mark chapter 1, just go down to verse uh, 9 where we're going to read this. Okay, so Jesus came. Uh, verse 9, Mark 1, Mark 1, 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Does this sound like a, you know, a baptism made up by a man or a baptism of God from heaven? 
James Edwards, a commentator who pointed out this aspect. Here's what he says, and I think as we now kind of head back towards our chapter, it's insightful for us as we think through this question of Jesus. It's getting to some heart-level issues here. More than I think we on just a quick reading see. He says this, The baptism of Jesus, in other words, was the event that inaugurated his, and he puts a Greek word in here, his authority. The baptism of Jesus, it was the event that inaugurated Jesus' authority. And then he goes on to say this, If the Sanhedrin, remember that 71 council made up of these guys and these guys, okay, that whole council, if they want to know whence or where Jesus received authority to do these things, it must reconsider John's baptism. Here's what he says. A decision about John is a decision about Jesus. See how it goes back to John's baptism. What they're deciding there follows through with what they're going to do with Jesus. Which, I mean, we can just expand that to say, what do we do with the first chapter of Genesis all the way to Revelation? It means it's all God's Word that we're to believe and obey and be under. Okay, well, we head back to Mark 11 and verse 31. That's the questions that's out there. Was this baptism heaven or man? How will they answer? Look at 31 and 32. They discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he's going to say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. That is, the people held that John was a prophet. The leaders of the Jews here, they really don't have a a knowledge problem. They have a heart of faith problem. And that's what verse 31 implies. It implies John had come and they had not believed him. Now, it's hard to know for certain if some of these, the ones that are here questioning Jesus, um, if they had been, in fact, baptized by John. There's some language that... Scripture speaks of all of Jerusalem going out to be baptized by John. So it kind of makes me wonder, were they were they baptized by him? Perhaps they were. And maybe it was just a formality. Yeah, we're baptized. But was there really fruit? Did they really, as John calls them, he says, you brood of vipers, you know, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He calls these leaders out as they came to his baptism. So I don't know, baptized or, baptized or not. Maybe just through the motions. It doesn't seem like they saw it for what it was from heaven. Um, and so they're struggling here. Verse 31, was it from heaven or from God? What's interesting, if we picture the baptism of John and his call to bear fruit, remember that language, bear fruit in keeping with repentance? John was telling them that. And now we said it right next to these temple scenes and a non-fruit-bearing fig tree. Just think it's, it's of a literary picture here that's going on of this desolate and impending situation of judgment on the scribes, the elders, the priests. That's what they, they're going to find themselves in. Their tree, this leadership tree, has not borne fruit in keeping with repentance. They have not believed the message of John as a message from God, but Message from from men, really. Here's what John the Baptist said in Luke 
chapter 3, verse 9. He says, even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Well, there is figurative language. Figure, the axe is laid. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's what's going on. These unbearing fruit trees. So these leaders, they are caught now. They can't answer from heaven. Pride. They, they fear Jesus' words. Why did you not believe him? They, did, they didn't believe him, so couldn't answer that way. But they can't answer from men because they fear the crowds who hold John to be the, indeed the prophet. Their unbelief has really forfeited an answer to their probing question of Jesus. And so this first shot, as we see this questioning in the temple, this from Mark here at least, this first shot in the temple, this shot of, by whose authority do you do this, kind of lands with just a, it's just a thud. And all of a sudden, they have no further answer, and they look really foolish, because in verse 33, they must admit, we don't know. These are the people that should know, right? They're the interpreters. They're the, the leading people. This is the Sanhedrin. Now, of anybody, they ought to know. And Jesus brings them to a place with one question. And they go, we don't know. Pride, fear the crowd, whatever it was. We don't know. Again, James Edwards says this insightfully on their lack of an answer to this question. He says this, unwillingness to make a judgment about God's first acts. I think John the Baptist there. It eliminates the possibility of knowing the last act in Jesus. The Sanhedrin, remember that group of people, the Sanhedrin opts for suspended judgment or keeping an open mind, as we say today. In reality, it shuffles among the options of skepticism, unbelief and cowardice. If there is faith, even as small as a mustard seed, Jesus responds, truly, I tell you. But in the face of calculated unbelief, he responds, neither will I tell you. Jesus will not answer those who do not believe. He will not answer the question of these leaders. And that's where we are in the second part of verse 33. Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I think there's a significant difference between answering the truly seeking at the heart and those just looking to do some damage. The fact is they did not care by what authority Jesus acted, but they did know it was not of God and they wanted to, we, we all know this having read through it, they wanted to destroy Jesus. By grace, Jesus, the Son of God, restrains a judgment of fire and damnation to those that would question his authority right here, right? He could do that right there in the temple, right where they're at. By his grace, he doesn't in this house, at least not yet. And so he proceeds onward, not to be served, but as we learned, 1045, Mark 1045, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. As we look back on this passage, all of our questions and the answers must really terminate 
in faith in the sovereign authority of Jesus. And the questions now come to you. We come back again to you and to me. So again, the first one is Jesus of heaven. Is he of God? How do we answer that? If we say yes, we ask another question. Is he then the ruling authority in your life? The call to these scribes and elders, it's a call to us really from John the Baptist that says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So do you believe Jesus is God? And he has authority over everything. Is he your Lord? And if you answer, yes, he's my Lord, I'll sing, Lord, reign in me. Okay, then we ask and say, your life must reflect your words. My life, as I sing, Lord, reign in me, you are my Lord. My life must reflect that. My walk outside these doors, outside of this pulpit, your walk outside of here or in here, it must reflect our worship. The same mouth that we praise the Lord with. James talks about that, but we praise Him in song. We must honor Him in what our tongue says throughout the week. Fruits and bearing with repentance. The same hands that we might lift high in worship and praise. We must lift and carry and comfort those others throughout the week. God is to be all of our lives, not just a part of them at certain times of the week. So I want to just end two exhortations to you as we wrap up thinking about this. Two words I'm thinking of. Um, One, a word of warning. The other, a word of grace. And even the word of warning you might say is a word of grace. But a word of warning to us, it's John's words, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not rely on a prayer you prayed when you were young or a commitment you made years ago. Today, the question is, today, this day, are you walking under the authority, the supreme authority of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that who you are under today? It doesn't matter your lineage, your parents, your church history. Today, are you under the authority of Jesus Christ in your life, living like it? Taking his word seriously, taking what he says in his word, And his commands to say, Lord Jesus, this is from heaven. This is from God. And I need to obey what's written in this. Hopefully, if we're serious about that commitment, we say, Lord, I want to obey you. A subsequent question comes to us. I have not loved you. You say, love the Lord with all, love your neighbor. I've not done this. That's the word of grace for us that have squandered his authority or not recognized his authority that we come again. If you find you've fallen short, you have failed to honor the authority of Jesus. It is not a closed door to walk away and say, I guess I messed that up. It's to come and run and bow before the king again on on bended knee to say, Lord, forgive me. I have I've really been seeking my own authority. And seek him. Again, I want to encourage you. That's why Jesus came. He came to save sinners. He didn't come to save the perfect that had it all together. Remember, the physician, he came to heal the sick and the dying. 
And I hope we see both of those. This warning of bearing fruit. Does my life show the fruit that He is my Lord? And when it doesn't, come again to His grace and say, I will eat from that table of grace for your blood washes me white as snow. As we heard about. And look to Him for forgiveness and hope. Let us not be the skeptics forever questioning. We're going to go through Scripture. We're going to have questions. Lord, I don't understand this. Do we understand every page? We don't. But let us again approach the Word of God as the authority it is to be in our lives because it's Jesus' words to us and come under that authority. And we've got to do that by faith. His faith, trusting Him. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We might pray again. Help me to believe and really live out your my authority. Let me pray for us. Father, truly, you call us to an impossible task in our own nature of worship and submission to your authority and to your will in our lives. <laughs> but we sang even in one of the songs today, we talked about you've you not only sent your son Jesus to atone, to cover over the sins, to put us in right standing because of the blood of Christ before you, but you've also given us your spirit that by your spirit we may bear fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. So, Lord, by your spirit work. And, Lord, we also, in just thinking of that, we praise you because your grace is at work already in the failures of us, that your spirit's calling us out to holiness, to walk with you, to bear fruits. And so, Lord, really, we praise your name. And we thank you for hard things and hard words that come along that drive us back again to you as our Lord. And so I pray for the faith of those hearing this and my own faith, that it would be strong, that you, Lord Jesus, are from heaven. You are of God, and we are to obey and bow our knees before you as our Lord and Savior and King and authority and ruler. And everything we do, may it come under you. Help us, our Lord. Help us to welcome those around us that are pointing that out. And to say, Lord, we need you. And then to come by grace back to your throne again through Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.